what we've found is, is that it takes really three things to make a decision. The first is you have to know what the research says about what you should be doing. Now, the second thing is, is you need to then use the data and you have to collect very specific data and it has to be actually less data is more in many ways because what you're really looking for is if the research says we should be doing X, Y, and Z, what does the data from our schools say? Does it say that we're doing X, Y, and Z or, or does it say we're doing X, we're not doing Y, we're, we're half doing Z? And, and then once you have that picture of sort of what are our strengths and what are our gaps, you really need to know what the next steps are. You're listening to the Getting Smart Podcast, where we unpack what's new and innovative in education. Today, we're talking about supporting educators with the right data when they're making important decisions with Rob Mancabelli, co-founder, chairman of the board, and chief strategy officer at BrightBytes. BrightBytes provides K-12 educators around the world a data analytics platform that houses seven different modules addressing common challenges educators face, from early identification of at-risk students to financial data that everyone can understand. So let's listen to Tom and Rob chat more about how this organization came to be and how it helps educators make better decisions that ultimately impact students. Rob Mancabelli from BrightBytes. It's great to have you on the Getting Smart podcast. Oh, thanks. I really appreciate you having me on the show, Tom. You you guys have a great uh, formation story. Where, where did the idea come from? Well, Bright Bites actually started with a friendship of, of two people who are from completely different worlds, um, and that's myself and my co-founder, Sham Anwar. Uh, I was a lifelong educator who uh, had worked as a, as a teacher and as a school administrator, um, and was someone who really saw how difficult it was to get good data to make decisions in K-12, but really had some trouble figuring out how we could scale something to help a lot of educators do something about it. And so I went up to MIT to do some work on global innovation in the hopes of, of finding someone to, to have an idea in this area. And I ended up uh, meeting Hisham Anwar, who was someone who was a technologist from Silicon Valley who was working to scale some of the largest and most familiar platforms in the world. For example, when I met him, um, he was um, working on the gaming platform for Zynga Games, uh, which is one of the larger gaming companies that's out there. And uh, when I started to talk to Hisham, it was really, it wasn't about solving problems and challenges in education. It was was really about his kids. Um, his kids were going off to school. He has two sons. Um, and he was asking me, you know, what he could expect. Um, and when I began to describe to him, you know, how the education system works and, uh, you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly, uh, because I, I had spent so many years in it, he turned to me and said, you know, I just feel like there's a lot of these challenges that we've solved in Silicon Valley from a at least in a business context. And I wonder if we could take that knowledge and apply it in an education context. And really that's what we sat down and did. We, we thought deeply about how could we give educators the kinds of tools that are the top flight tools available to people in other industries around the world. And it's funny because that, that mix of um, Silicon Valley and, uh, you know, the heartland of education kind of shows in the team at Bright Bites. If you, 
if you look at our team, it's really groups of people that in another century would have never met. You know, it's 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 educators side by side with data scientists. You know, it's principals and superintendents uh, working right next to engineers and product designers. And that mix of you know, building beautiful software that really helps people, um, but doing it with people who really know what the challenges are in education. Uh, for us, it makes all the difference in the world. Who uses BrightBytes? Well, we're proud to serve educators um, both across the United States and around the globe. Uh, in the U.S., uh, about one in five schools has purchased the platform, and we're wow. – um, yeah – we're, we're, we've grown tremendously, um, and we have inbound interest right now from over 20 countries. Uh, we've been careful about of our expansion um, into the international space because we want to make sure that the quality um, and what we provide to people is as good as what we've provided to people in the United States. So we've started by moving into some English-speaking countries like Australia and Canada uh, we've made a couple of forays into uh, European countries that um, have a high uh, percentage of English speakers and, and school systems that are similar to the U.S. As a matter of fact, I was just at uh, BET, which is the British uh, Educational Technology right. Conference. It's, and uh, It's huge. Yeah, it really is. 40,000 right? uh, people it's from like, all over the world. It's like three ISTEs. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And... Uh, at that conference, we were having uh, conversations with almost two dozen countries um, about some some pretty exciting projects that I'm hoping to launch, not not only just to help individual schools, but also at the state level um, to help uh, nations uh, with the kinds of results that they're trying to achieve in, in education. So why is it still so hard to uh, combine, to, to source and combine data in education in 2017? You know, we, we have a saying around here. We like to say that uh, schools can often be data-rich uh, but information poor. And the reason we say that is because it takes a lot more than data to reach a decision for an educator. And anybody who's been in education knows this, that oftentimes if you if you simply take the data that's sitting in one or more systems and you visualize it, um, you can really just have a visual picture of what was a confusing set of data already. Uh, and at right. BrightBytes, what we found is, is that it takes really three things to make a decision. The first is you have to know what the research says about what you should be doing. Now, the second thing is, is you need to then use the data, and you have to collect very specific data, and it has to be Actually, less data is more in many ways because what you're really looking for is if the research says we should be doing X, Y, and Z, what does the data from our schools say? Does it say that we're doing X, Y, and Z, or, or does it say we're doing X, we're not doing Y, we're, we're half doing Z? And, and then once you have that picture of sort of what are our strengths and what are our gaps, you really need to know what the next steps are. Um, what are what are the things that schools that have conquered the areas that we're challenged with, what have they done in the past and how have they done it? And do they look like us? Uh, is, are, are these similar schools to us? And I think that's the reason why there's so much data, but oftentimes 
the ecosystem surrounding that data, the research and, and the strength gap analysis, the next step tends to be the part that's missing, and that's really what we try to fill. Do you just track data on reading, writing, and math, or more broadly than that? We think that the picture is best served when it goes more broadly than that. And and what we do is we – obviously, you have to cover standard academic outcomes, particularly ones that get measured by standardized tests because many people uh, are being measured uh, on those factors. But what we do is we add in uh, a collection of 21st century skills um, that allow educators to track a, a broader set of factors um, and to to look for improvement um, in areas that will apply to the whole child. Um, so, for example, in one of our modules, uh, one of the things we're tracking in the classroom when, when teachers and students are using technology is an increase in the four C's, uh, you know, communication, collaboration, creativity, and critical thinking. And the reason we do that is because if you really want to achieve college and career readiness, being able to perform better in those areas can be just as important as, as other more standard measures. It, it can, but it, it's a confusing area because there, there's all this uh, new, well-placed attention on mindsets and character strengths and social-emotional learning, but we, we haven't really landed on a language or a set of measures for those things. So how do you deal with that? Yeah, I think I agree with you. I think we're at a disruptive moment, and disruptive moments can be exciting because they – have a lot of people who are thinking very divergently about the challenges that we're facing, but they can be pretty challenging because uh, there's no standard yet. Uh, you know, I think about, to use a, a more simplistic example, I was in technology in schools in the mid-90s when we had to make a choice between how we were going to wire the campus, whether it would be Ethernet or coaxial cable or fiber, and there was no standard yet. You know, nobody had won that race, and, and you were kind of trying to figure out, am I going to spend a lot of money and end up not getting the results I want because I'm going to – I will have bet on the one that lost, and, and two or three years later, I'm, I'm not going to have anything to show for it. So what we try to do to, to solve for that is we work with the institution to find out what their priorities are. Um, and then we steer them toward the analysis that will meet those priorities, knowing that if those priorities change over time, we can add more later. Uh, it really is, is as long as you can get started in one place with the data, we find it's actually much more important to develop the methodology of decision-making and to think in terms of what we call ROL, return on learning. So to think in terms of, you know, I have limited amount of time and I have limited amount of money. Um, what does the research say would be the best place for me to spend that time and money in order to improve student learning results? And then to measure on a monthly basis whether or not those results are actually being achieved and to go over that with your leadership team and to talk to your principals about that. If you can get into that cadence, then if the actual factors change that you're tracking, it really won't matter as much because you'll be able to hit the ground running with whatever those new factors are. You're listening to the Getting Smart Podcast, and today we're talking about using data to improve student achievement with Rob Makabelli of Bright Bites. 
If you're enjoying this podcast, be sure to check out Tom's discussion with Mark Millerin, co-founder of Civitas Learning, around how colleges and universities are using data to improve learning, persistence, and degree choice. It's Season 1, Episode 40, the podcast titled Getting the Right Data to the Right People in the Right Way. Next up, Tom and Rob discuss what an engagement between Bright Bites and a school or district looks like. So, Rob, let's get specific. How, what is an engagement look like? I'm a new superintendent. I've heard about Bright Bites. Uh, I'm, I'm curious, sort of walk me through what, um, what a deployment might look like. Sure. Let's, so it'll depend on the challenge that you're facing. Let's say, for example, you're a new superintendent that's come in, and the challenge that you're facing is a high number of students who drop out. Let's say you have a dropout rate um, of 17%. So what we would do is we would talk to you um, about deploying our uh, Early Insights platform, which is a platform that allows you to track um, the statistics around dropout and really fight it more effectively. Um, so what's the first thing I said we do is we look at the research. So the platform has within it in the Early Insights module um, the 23 factors that cause a student to drop out. What's the second thing we do? We gather data from your environment, and this is going to be in real time going forward, but in, in the beginning how, we do a – And how oh, does that work? Like how, well, how painful is that for an administrator? Do you, you drop off a, a van load of analysts that are <laughs> combing? How, how does that work? No, you have to make it as painless for the district as possible. We try to keep the district commitment to this work very, very small. And we we will connect to, for example, in the case of the early warning system, the student information system and, and draw the information directly out of that. Or sometimes we've drawn it out of state um, databases and state data warehouses, for example. Uh, and we'll take a look at the historical data and analyze it across these 23 factors to find out why are students dropping out in this particular district. And that's really important. That's the predictive part of predictive analytics is, is really being able to use machine learning to individualize uh, the solution for every school. If you were to uh, simply take and say, well, these tend to be the things that cause people to drop out, and then look at the data and say, so you should do this, this, and this, you're really not individualizing it for that particular school. So we would create a strengths gaps analysis uh, in these really easy-to-read dashboards for the administrative uh, leaders of the school that shows the areas in which uh, students uh, are having challenges. And we actually then use a predictive model to predict from K through 12 uh, which students, one by one, individual names, are most likely to drop out. Um, and the reason we're doing that is because you want to be able to let people act as early as possible. So if you're seeing a trend in the third grade of a number of students who, when, when other third graders years ago had these same challenges, they ended up dropping out of school, you want to be able to address it right then and there rather than waiting until ninth grade, 10th grade, 11th grade. Well, I so I remember paying for some analysis like this uh, when I was in philanthropy, and I remember spending millions of dollars on consultants. So th this sounds expensive. Is this really affordable for districts? Oh, absolutely. No, actually, 
It's funny you should say that because what we're finding is is that we're replacing consulting models that used to be very expensive, and we're doing right. it in a in a scalable way that really costs districts far less. Yeah, we um, we have we have a goal of impacting every student in education. And for that reason, we've priced our products so it's affordable to every single institution. And so we've never, we rarely get any pushback from uh, customers on price. Um, that's really not, it, not a big factor. Do they factor. buy this as, uh, is it like software as a service? It's a subscription model? That's exactly right. Yep. It's software as a service on an annual, uh, on an annual payment. Yep. All right. You mentioned machine learning. So how is BrightBytes um, using uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning? And w- what are you doing today and what's on the roadmap? Well, I, I mentioned I, I keep extending that model because I think it's a helpful way to think about it. Uh, you know, years ago, if we were fighting dropout in a particular school, we might have a, let's say, 10 years ago or 15 years ago. We would have a, a few PDFs from higher education uh, that would be written by researchers that would talk about the factors that cause students to drop out. Um, and then we would probably think about those in terms of our school. And then, you know, just as we started to put data in place, let's say like 10 years ago or so and started to use it effectively, the researchers at that time came out with what used to be known as checklist methods. So they would say, if a student has more than 10% of absences, then they're likely to drop out. Or they might say, uh, if a student has a certain GPA, um, then they might be likely to drop out. And the, this, this was actually a, a great leap forward prior to machine learning um, in our ability to think about how to use data to make decisions. The problem is, is the, the workload tended to be really, really high. And what data scientists call the false positive rate, in other words, the number of students who are identified as having a problem who actually didn't have a problem, uh, was also very high. So what you end up with is a situation where a lot of people are doing a lot of work with a very generalized, you know, system, and it ends up being too much work really for the school to do effectively. What machine learning allows is is us to be able to predictively look at the historical data for these students and actually get down to a much more granular level and have far fewer of those false positives and really be able to predict more effectively um, which students are being able to drop out in that particular example. Do you anticipate that uh, that soon school districts will have platforms that uh, take advantage of machine learning and can start providing real-time recommendations and smart nudges to teachers and kids that will further improve outcomes? You know, I know that schools will be using it over the course of the next decade as to, you know, where those platforms will end up residing and whether they'll be running them themselves. We found that the the work of running a school and having the knowledge of education is already challenging enough and having to balance parents' concerns and um, having to work with um, students and faculty and operations and things like that. So obviously doing what we do, we, we see that work as being more uh, a partner approach uh, where we can partner with the schools and be able to help them do that. Uh, I will say, though, if schools 
um, can afford and can have the foresight to have a research team in place um, at the school, um, it actually greatly helps us with our work. The research teams will often see us as their best friends because, you know, we we have a lot of the ability to scale their work that they otherwise wouldn't be able to do. I'll give you an example. We went into a a district that had been working on dropout for four years, and they had hired a team of four programmers, and they were taking an approach of trying to deliver in real time to their principals actionable information. And at the end of four years of having four programmers, they were only able to deliver to um, their principals once a week a report just on the middle school students. And we showed them that for one-fourth of the cost of what they were spending, we could actually deliver to the school real-time data on all the students in the school to every principal every day. And it was just a big leap forward when you're working at the scale we're working on um, to be able to do uh, a little bit more faster uh, than you would be able to otherwise. So as we're we're wrapping up, I, I'd love your reflections on what it takes to be a, a great school and district leader these days. How is how are using smart tools like uh, Brightbytes changing the, the job description for education leaders? You know, if I had any advice for education leaders, um, I think it would be to focus on their own learning. And the reason I say that is because the world is moving so quickly now, and the the things that are possible are changing so rapidly that what I find being an educator and being someone who's very familiar with the challenges that we face in education is that when I see leaders making missteps, it tends to be because they don't know what they don't know, that they are so busy uh, running their schools and uh, doing the day-to-day work of of being an educational leader that oftentimes they'll have to feel like they have to sacrifice their own learning and they won't have in place uh, a continuous process of learning, whether that be uh, an RSS feed, uh, personal learning networks that they're involved in, uh, and other forms of support that are that are really on-the-go forms of, of supporting your learning so that you always keep up on how the world is changing. And I, I think that what's going to happen is we're at another transition point where – those systems are not really mature, those continuous learning systems. And I think they're getting more and more mature every day and it's becoming easier and easier. But I think the earlier you can think of how you make time every week for that kind of learning, the better off you and your your schools are going to be because of the kinds of decisions you're going to make. I imagine many of your customers think about BrightBytes as a, uh, a learning platform. You know, it really, it really is. It's funny because I don't think, uh, when, when I say we help schools to make better decisions, I think sometimes, uh, people might push back and say, I don't know if I need your help making a better decision. Um, but if you think about it, um, decision making in K-12 is pretty complex. You're juggling, uh, the business side of the equation. In other words, how much am I spending? Um, how long is that money available? What resources are it going towards? And all the education side of the equation. And 
What we try to do is say, think of us as, you know, your best friend on the business and data side and, and let us help you feel like you're excited about it. And so it's funny, we have an annual conference and, uh, last year the people in the room represented over 10% of the educators in, uh, in U.S. schools. And I think the reason they're there is because it's one of the most exciting learning moments of the year for them. It's a chance for them to be fed. It's a chance for them to feel innovative and and on the cutting edge. And I I think that's great. Anything that that feeds that kind of energy into people and keeps them excited and what can be a a very um, challenging industry, I I think, is, is something that we need more of. Rob, you guys have built uh, a really impressive company. Uh, just in closing, I'm wondering what your sort of lessons learned as you think about scaling a a company uh, for other people in a startup, maybe in a few steps behind you. What what have you guys learned about building an impact organization? Uh, there, there, there are so many that I could go the length of the amount of time we've talked so far. <laughs> if I really wanted to go into all of them, um, if I picked a couple off the top of my head, um, one would be um, to solve real problems um, that you've observed in the environment repeatedly, um, and to not sway from that, to not get caught up in hype around. Um, things that you perceive are problems in the space, but maybe the people who work in education don't really see as a day-to-day problem. Um, the second one would be that when you do that, um, you're constantly checking in with your customers for input, but you're using your own vision to build what the solution would be. Oftentimes, if you were to ask your customers what they want, they'll simply talk about something that's a small incremental change from what they have right now instead of a large innovative leap. Like I don't think any of my fellow right. tech directors would have said they wanted a data analytics platform for technology and learning. I, I think that right. it would have been a really different answer, you know. And I think that lastly that you, to really think about your organization that you're building as much as you're thinking about the product. Because I really feel that if you hire really smart and caring people who are very empathetic to educators and really understand how hard it is to work in their world, you will, you'll, you'll have in place a set of, a set of people that are going to be able to solve many of the problems that come along, but are also going to be able to make educators feel cared for and, and feel um, supported throughout the process. And so, We've really focused a lot on culture here at Bright Bites. We, we started something the first year we were in business called the Bright Bites Academy, which is a, a multi-day um, uh, employee-led uh, training program for everybody who comes to work at Bright Bites that's really about what's it like to be an educator and, and what's it like to live in that world and, and what kinds of problems and challenges do you face and, you know, how do we try to solve them. And I, I think that that, more than anything else, helps us to constantly grow as an organization. It's a great success story. You guys are cutting a a new path that looks like it's really making a big difference. So we appreciate your work, Scott. Thanks for being on the Getting Smart podcast. No, thanks a lot. I I really appreciate it, Tom. Uh, Thanks for having me on.
During this podcast, Tom and Rob touched on machine learning and education, a topic our team is very interested in right now as part of our hashtag AskAboutAI series. If you're interested in this topic too, be sure to check out season two, episode 33 of the podcast called How the Platform Revolution is Changing Life and Learning, where Tom and Sangeet Chowdhury, founder of Platformation Labs, discuss the platform revolution coming to education. Tom and Rob also chatted a bit about dropout prevention in this podcast, which is a topic that's very near and dear to me. Listen to my story, as well as K-12's Laurel Barrett's, as she chats with Getting Smart team member Jessica Slusser in the podcast Dropout Prevention, Community, Support, and Guidance, which is Season 2, Episode 10. Thanks so much to Rob Mancabelli for speaking with us today, to Tom for another great interview, and to Troy Lund for mixing it all together and making it sound so good. Be sure to check out the Getting Smart podcast on iTunes, and while you're there, subscribe and rate us. And as always, for more on all things innovations and learning, check out our blog as well at gettingsmart.com. For the Getting Smart podcast, this is Kat, signing off.